0: and welcome to Com Church Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged and uplifted by the talk you're about to hear. Now I'm so glad that when Josh was leading worship this morning that he chose that song where it talks about forever you are glorified, forever you are lifted high. Because the passage that God put on my heart to share with you today is exactly where those principles come from. So if you've got a Bible or you want to click on your your device, let's go to John chapter 12. And I'm going to read from verse 20. So John 12 verse 20, and I want to share some important principles really which I know are relevant to you as a church. I know your passion. You want to make an impact in this area. And this is this passage in the Bible has got an amazing statement about the drawing power of God and we want to see that afresh in our community and through the church here. So it says this in John 12, verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus, but Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honour. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. The reason I've gone to this passage is this. That when we reach out to the community, we need to know the power of God to draw people. We can do great publicity. We can put on great events. But in the end, we need the drawing power of God. And right in this passage, it says that I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to myself. But that comes at the end of the passage. So let's just go through it and pick up some points which I think will be really useful for us. This couple... Andrew and Philip. What an interesting pair they were. Philip came from Bethsaida in Galilee. He was one of the first followers of Jesus. But you know, when you look at his ministry in the Bible, he seems to be very good at introducing people and not much else. He asked some difficult questions at times. It was Philip who brought people to Jesus in the first instance. He and Andrew had that ministry. You may remember that the little boy with the loaves and fish were ones that were brought by Philip and Andrew. And right here, Philip and Andrew now got another opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. It's actually a great ministry. You know, all kinds of ministries exist within the body of Christ, but we need more people that are introducers, you know. I love the story of those four who took their friend and their friend needed healing. But all they could do was to rip the tiles off the roof and lower lower the man down to the feet of Jesus because they believe that if only I can get him to the feet of Jesus, then he will be healed. We need to have that kind of conviction in our hearts. We need people that have got that sense that if only I can get people to Jesus, it'll bring transformation into their lives. Some of the miracles that you see You know, when Paul was at Ephesus, it talks about they took handkerchiefs from his body and they took things from him so that the sick could be healed. Do you know, that is interesting because in reality, I believe that the people who were taking those items would have preferred to have brought their friends to the meeting. (laughs) There's something about bringing people in that makes such a difference. But if you can't bring them in, take something to them. It's just that power of commitment into the community that makes such a difference. And so we've got Andrew and Philip here and these Greeks come and they're very polite. They say to these two, sir, we would see Jesus. What a great question. Do we still believe that there's a hunger in people's hearts out there? We need to believe it even if they don't believe it themselves. (laughs) People walk around, they think that you know life is so sewn up, it's so complete, it's But you know, there's a hunger in every heart. And people need to see Jesus. Maybe they don't come and ask, but there's still that desire in their hearts. And so they come and they say to to Philip initially, and he finds Andrew, Sir, we would see Jesus. And then they go and speak to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, there are these people here who want to see you. And then Jesus gives them an answer. Now, I don't know about you, but you'd have thought the answer would be, yeah, bring them on. <laughs> bring them in. I'd just love to meet them. But Jesus goes off on a what seems like a huge tangent. In fact, I've often thought, how on earth did Andrew and Philip go back to the Greeks and say, you'll never guess what he said. You'll never guess what he said. We asked, can you see him? And he said all this about a grain of wheat falling into the ground, about being glorified, about hating your life and losing it. And he never said whether he wanted to see you or not, really. So you just probably have to leave it and wait and see what happens. But it actually says in the Bible that Jesus answered them. So we've got to think about what Jesus said as being an answer to that point. There are people out there who want to see you. What does Jesus say when we come with that, there are people out there who want to see you? Well, it seems he says all of these things. First of all, he says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Why does he put that top of the list? I think it's because he knows that in reality, it has to go beyond the kind of curiosity that the Greeks might have been entertaining. You see, we don't know why they wanted to see Jesus. Did they want him to do some kind of miracle? Were they just curious to see what this prophet from Nazareth looked like? Did they just have autograph books that they wanted signed? What were they trying to do? They just trying to get a tick that said, we've now seen Jesus. But Jesus wanted to push it beyond curiosity. He said, I'm coming to the point in my life where I'm going to be glorified. From the beginning, Jesus hasn't been interested really in satisfying people's curiosity. He wants people to see his glory, he wants people to see his uniqueness. He wants people to see him for who he is and for what he can do in their lives. He wants them to have their eyes lifted above the curiosity and to see the greatness and the glory of God. So in some ways what he's saying is, hold on a moment. They could see me as I am, but you know, in a very short space of time, they're going to see me in a way they never expected. The hour has come. You know, right the way through the Bible, that little expression was coming up, wasn't it? All through the Gospels. Cana of Galilee, his mother says to him, do something about the lack of wine. He says, mother, my hour has not yet come. And through the Gospels, you find it again. My hour has not yet come. But here, when the Greeks arrive, he says, the hour has come when I shall be glorified. So hold on. You're just about to see something you never expected. This will go beyond every miracle. It'll go beyond the feeding of the 5,000. It'll go beyond the healing of the lepers. This is something you cannot miss. This is his answer to those who want to see Jesus. You need to see me glorified. And then he says this, because he's now talking about the process of glorification. Most assuredly, I say to you, that except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. (laughs) But if it dies, it produces much grain. You can see Jesus from a distance. (laughs) Or you can see Jesus in a way that will transform your own life. So that instead of being an external observer, you become part of the fruit of what he's done through the cross and through his resurrection. That is the power that we have in the gospel. Beyond the miracles, beyond the preaching, there's this reality that Jesus came, that he might be that grain that goes down into the ground and dies so that it doesn't remain alone. So what's he saying? He's saying really to the Greeks, first of all, you can see me as I am or you can see me in the full glory that God wants to bring. You can see me as a remarkable person or you can see me as someone who does something that is so powerful in this world that the life I have can be the life that you have too. You can see me alone or you can be part of what I am. As I say, I don't know how Andrew and Philip were going to convey this back. It was probably more than enough to try and take it into their own thinking. What is Jesus talking about? Being glorified. Going into the ground and dying. Pushing it to the point when he there says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Saying you need to get to the point where actually having an encounter with me is so transformative that you're prepared to give everything in order to take hold of this. To lose your life in order that you might find it. To say goodbye to the old aspirations and purposes that you had and to find a whole new reason for living in me. These are huge things. But you can see where Jesus is going. You want to see my glory. There is a price to pay. Of course, the greater price is paid by him. But if we're going to see it too, we've got to be prepared to let go of some of those smaller ambitions in order to take hold of that big sense of seeing him for what he is. He says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And then he's very honest. He says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, Father, Save me from this hour. This is an anticipation of the Garden of Gethsemane, isn't it? We know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, in moments before he was betrayed by Judas, he was wrestling. He was wrestling in prayer. He was saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup be taken from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This was big. The price he was going to pay for us was enormous cry on the cross my God my God why have you forsaken me he knew that was coming the price he paid wasn't just the pain of nail pierced hands and nail pierced feet it was the pain of taking our sin upon himself and knowing that separation from the father which caused him to cry out my God my God why have you forsaken me Isn't it amazing? The first Adam (laughs) went and hid from the presence of God. God Himself had to come in the cool of the day saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? (laughs) God was taking the initiative. God is taking the initiative here too in that moment on the cross. And within an instant, Jesus feels the pain of separation. But he doesn't hide himself. He cries out to the Father. The pain of the cross was high. He was laying down his life for us. But his challenge to us is, are we prepared to lay our lives down for him? And why does this matter? Jesus wrestled with this question. What do I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this reason, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then the voice comes from heaven and says, I've glorified and I've glorified it again. People thought it thundered. Some said an angel spoke to him. Jesus said, this voice didn't come because of me, but it came for you. And then he says this statement, I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to me. So we come back to where we started in what I'm talking about today. The passion in our hearts to see people drawn to Jesus. Forever he's glorified. Forever he is lifted high. 2,000 years ago, on that hill outside Jerusalem, that was the city rubbish dump, he was crucified for us. When he said, the hour is come for me to be glorified, what did you think that glorification was going to look like? Did you think for one moment that it would be exemplified by someone nailed up on a Roman cross with a sign over his head which says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And people mocking and implying, what kind of king are you? But there's never been a moment in history where a king reigned more supremely And more effectively than Jesus did that day hanging on that cross. There was a dignity upon him, even in his nakedness. There was a power in him, even in his brokenness. And the effectiveness of what he accomplished. We had it in that song. The veil tore before him. Every barrier. That has existed between man and God was ripped away as Jesus was on that cross. As his body was opened with a Roman spear, so he was opening up a way for us into the presence of God. As he was hanging on that cross, the Bible says he saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. What does that mean? It means that even as he was hanging there, he was bringing people to birth. John gives the testimony that when the sword went in, blood and water came from his side. John was staggered. So surprised, in fact, that he made sure he put it in the gospel. I saw blood and water come. If there are any medics amongst us. It was probably because there was a pericardial effusion and when the spear went in under the ribs, it went up, pierced the heart and that sack around the heart released the fluid as well as the blood. But you know, for for people looking without a medical knowledge, the only time they'd see blood and water together was at birth. When the waters break and the blood is seen, surely Jesus was bringing something to birth. Surely this was the moment when Isaiah 53 was being fulfilled. He sees the travail of his soul. He knows that he's bringing something significant to birth. He might be there as the seed going into the ground, but he knows in resurrection he's not going to be abiding alone. He's going to be bringing many sons to glory. He's going to be birthing generation upon generation upon generation. The power of what was happening on the cross was so great that there as he was hanging and suffering that pain, he could look at those around him. And he could have said, you know, if you're prepared to let go of your life, what I'm birthing here on the cross today can be transformative for each one of you. I have no idea how Andrew and Philip conveyed this back to the Greeks. <laughs> they probably said, I haven't got a clue how to tell you what he's saying. But it seems to be that when you asked to see him, it touched something in his heart. Which was like saying, yes, I do want them to see me, but not just to satisfy their curiosity. I want them to see me in a way that sees the glorification in my life that's going to be transformative for everyone in the world who's drawn to me as the wounded saviour hanging on that cross. Do you sense the power of this? To me, it's the most powerful thing in the whole world that that Savior on that cross was paying a price. He died for Dunstable. He died for every single person on that high street. He died for everyone who's ever wanted to say we would see Jesus, and he died for everyone who wouldn't even bother to say we would see Jesus. Jesus. He paid a price that was so great that the drawing power of the cross is as great today as it was 2,000 years ago. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. That is a big, big breakthrough. You might say, well, 3,000 got saved, but 5,000 got fed. Yeah, I know 5,000 got fed. But you know, there's something much more powerful than having bread that Jesus has broken on the inside of you and having the power of his life on the inside of you. We may have to begin with giving people the bread that Jesus has broken. But in the end, the passion that fills our hearts is we want them to know the life that Jesus has given in their lives. I think that we are on the verge in the United Kingdom of seeing a huge spiritual breakthrough. You know, I just sense that. If you, if you follow history, you know that before God sends a mighty revival, there's very often a mighty need <laughs> If you look at the things as they were in the 1700s before the Wesleyan Revival, it certainly wasn't any better than it is now. (laughs) In fact, it was probably worse. But I sense that there's a brokenness in society. I sense there's a need. I sense there's a hunger. A hunger that people don't really know how to define it. But I also sense that there's something happening in the body of Christ. I would not be trying to change 27 denominations in this country if it wasn't for the fact that I believe in the power of God to transform. You know, if God can raise the dead, (laughs) you know what I'm going to (laughs) say. Some of these denominations that are specializing in decline better get ready. (laughs) Because God's not in the business of decline. He's in the business of resurrection. And it's going to come in ways we don't expect. Areas of church growth are not where people expected them to be. Some of our biggest church growth areas at the moment are in youth churches. At a time when people said, oh, no, no, you're never going to get the young people. you get the middle-aged ones and you'll get the ones that are waiting for the gates of heaven to open for them. But you won't get the young people. What's God doing? He's proving the critics wrong. He's doing something in hearts and lives. Last Sunday afternoon, it was a weird day last Sunday. I had to be at the cenotaph in the morning representing a whole chunk of the church and then I had to be in Westminster Abbey in the evening for the hundred years since the armistice but in the afternoon because I was around in London I went to visit a church thousand young people in a conference centre most of them from African Caribbean backgrounds many of them had spent time in prison but the testimonies I heard of the transformative power of God, changing lives. It was extraordinary. It wasn't Hillsong worship, it was too rough around the edges for that. No smoke machines, you know. But there was just something that was just such an impact. I'd met a couple of people from this church before. I'd been, I'm also one of the representatives to deal with. Um, knife crime and challenges we've got in London and I'd been at an event and some of the people from this church were there and I saw their enthusiasm for Jesus so I I went up and I said to a couple of the young guys I said you know I do a bit for the church you know would you like to pray for me So, boy, they didn't know who I was, so that was great. So they started praying, God, give this old man the kind of vision that we've got, you know. And it was like, you know, maybe he can catch a glimpse of what we can see and what we can do. Show him what God's doing in these days. And I was getting more and more excited. come on, guys, just keep giving me this. This is great, you know. But it's such an example of what God is doing. Where he's taking the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. This is definitely the day where the stone that the builders have rejected is being the chief cornerstone. You know, we don't understand it. You know, I go around the world, and, and, and the song that you hear most commonly translated into every language is, this is the day, this is the day. And someone will stand up and say, this is the day, it's the 18th of November. And I think, oh, goodness me, that's not what it means. Actually, what it says in the Bible is, The stone that the builders has rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the day that the Lord has made. And the day in which that which the builders reject becomes the chief cornerstone is the day that has continued right from that moment when Jesus was hanging on that cross right through until now. We're still in that same day. When you sing that song, don't think it means the day we were in. It actually means the era that we're in that opened up when Jesus was on the cross and turned everything upside down. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. The rejected can come to the fore. The have-nots can be the people that have. The ones who are prepared to lose their life and find something new in Christ. They're the ones that are going to be the transformative power in society. We can lift Jesus up. We can lift Him up. Forever he's glorified. Forever he's lifted high. But we can be part of that demonstration of the glory that Christ brings. Before he went to the cross, he prayed on the way to the cross. He said, that they might know my glory. Knowing the glory is the key to unity. I can try and stitch denominations together, but it's going to be the glory of God that brings people together. We can try and do this and we can try and do that. But when the glory of God is evident in our lives, that glory of being in fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's when the transformation comes. Unity is not unity at all if all we've achieved is the churches coming together. We need to come together in the power of God, one with Him and not just one with each other. And that's such a key. We need to know that. We need to see the power of God demonstrated in that. We need to be able to set forth Christ crucified amongst us. Paul, when he went and preached to the Galatians, he said, you know that Christ was set forth crucified among you. What can we show our communities? We can show our communities the power of transformed lives. It's amazing, isn't it, that disciples were so excited when they seen Jesus raised from the dead. They must have wanted to tell everybody, hey, hey, Jesus is alive. He's alive. And what did he say? You're not going anywhere. And you're not telling anybody (laughs) until you've received power from on high. Why did he say that? They've got testimonies, for goodness sake. They could have got out on the street. They could say, Thomas could have done a great one. Couldn't he say, I didn't believe, but there came a moment when I put my hand in his eye, and then I believed. Jesus said, you can't even tell them that story. <laughs> because you've got to wait. They had to wait 50 days. 40 days, Jesus was appearing amongst them. And then for 10 days, they just had to wait. Seek God in an upper room. Why did they have to wait? It was because Jesus was not going to let them out on the streets to talk about his resurrection power until it was evident in their lives. They couldn't be witnesses of the resurrection as people standing at a distance and talking about it. They had to be witnesses of the resurrection by being people who knew the resurrection power of God in their lives. This is what God wants to do in our midst. He wants Christ to be glorified in our lives. (laughs) He wants a people to see that we have been prepared to pay the price, to give what we once had, to take hold of something that is so much better. People need to see that because Jesus died, we're now partakers of that same life. Can you see why he said it's good that I go away? I mean, goodness me. We could have hung on to him forever, like Peter wanted to do. Oh, no, no, we need you here. We need you doing this. We need you doing that. He says, no, 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 no. You need my resurrection power in your life. Better that he who's been with you is in you. And we need to know that. And I think that by God's grace, as we as a community of people, and there's something about being a community, you know, that is the bigger part of the testimony. Your personal testimony is great, but our corporate testimony is greater. When people see how much we love one another, That's when they know that we're his disciples. And it takes churches like this, where we come together with that commitment to one another, and that love for one another, and that passion together, that actually gives us the opportunity to demonstrate out there the glorification of Christ, so that we can say forever he's glorified, forever he's lifted high. And by God's grace, we as a company of people showing that love to one another, each of us knowing the power of Christ's life within us and yet expressing it corporately can have such a a transformative effect on these communities. So I come back to these disciples and think of those Greeks. We want to see Jesus. I'm so glad they wanted to see Jesus. But I'm also glad that what Jesus wanted them to see was something so much more than they expected. As you walk around this area, you'll see people who don't look the least bit interested in what you want to offer them. But see beyond that. See beyond that. There are people in our communities who want to see Jesus. I'm going to pray right now for us. This has been a simple message. You know, I haven't gone much beyond those few verses. (laughs) But that story always makes an impact on me. I wonder what it would have been like to have been Andrew and Philip. Great introducers. But to discover that Jesus wanted to be more to those Greeks. Than Andrew and Philip could ever have imagined. Father, we think of this community. You know the significance of this place. You know where it sits geographically. You know what a challenge it can be where these three counties meet where Luton sits alongside as one of our most multicultural cities God you've got to do something in Dunstable Lord we sense that that is the desire of your heart we want to thank you Lord for this vibrant testimony that you're gathering in this place we want to thank you, Lord, that we're a company of people who know that forever he's glorified, forever he's lifted high. And in the simplicity of this message this morning, we just want to say, Lord, here we are. Here we are. Lord, we hear you're well done in our hearts. But we want to respond to that by saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, and we'll do more. We'll be more. We'll lift you higher. We want you to be glorified even more greatly in our lives. I want to pray specifically for some of you who have been a little bit confused about what God is doing in your own walk and in your own journey. You may have had in your mind a trajectory where your life was just going to go up and up and up and up and You hit a point where it looks as if it's going in the opposite direction. But I just want to say to you, that doesn't mean that God has given up on you. It just might be one of those moments when things are going to die so that resurrection life and the glory of God can be seen even more strongly. Some of you are going through things at the moment and you think, where's the testimony going to be in this? If there wasn't a test, there wouldn't be a testimony. So, Father, I pray for anyone this morning who's just feeling that challenge. Maybe sensing a confusion. We've looked at a Bible passage where people could certainly have been confused. And yet, in the midst of it, Lord, you were not confused, you knew what was happening speak into our hearts speak into our lives Lord that we might get that sense of your authority your control your purpose being worked through in each of our lives so Lord we give you the praise we give you the glory we commit ourselves to one another and to you afresh saying we lift you high we glorify you in our midst so draw Lord Draw all people to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to get in touch, visit our website at www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.